0: Welcome to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. We're a ministry of Candeo Church, and we are glad you're listening.
1: All right, thanks for sticking around guys. Yeah, I thought Steven set that up well. You know, it's like talk a lot about the, the great banquet, what we look forward to as believers, and that naturally raises the next question like, okay, well, what about the excluded? What about the self-righteous? What about those who cling to the things of this world? And, yeah, it's like uh, this is a great place for something like us for, for, uh, for us to dig a little deeper into because this is, can be, like, a really sensitive topic, and um, a lot of us have specific people in mind when we think of this. Like, it's a hard thing to deal with. And so um, we're going to just open up. Andrew, you got some some thoughts on, like, just this topic in general.
0: Yeah. And first of all, just to like give, set up right expectations. The scope of this is not to teach you everything that there is to know about hell. There is books and doctrines and resources and so much out there. So this is not meant to be incredibly exhaustive. This is just like to open up the door a little bit to the conversation, just give some definitions, give some clarity, and then also just help shepherd you guys to shepherd other people. Um, But I do just before we even get started, just like want to let you know that the idea of hell, the idea of punishment, of eternal damnation is like a really weighty thing. And when misunderstood or misused, I think it's actually one of the number one things that drives people away from Christianity. I think it's like one of the number one things that people like look from outside the church and look in. It's like, hey, if they believe that, I'm out. Like, no way can I do that. And so we want to help you guys just have some clarity. Um, But one thing that we also know is that like you said this isn't just a doctrine like these are destinies like when we when we talk about hell when we talk about the things are coming we are talking about a reality that if my grandpa were to die tonight who does not know Jesus like what faces him and other people in my family, and I'm sure you guys know people. So when we, when we talk about this, we we talk about this as shepherds, as people who know you guys, like, have real people in your lives. We are not up here to be uppity or to be like, hey, this is what's right. Like, we are up here, a people that we just want to know what the Bible says clearly and yeah, the Bible is clear about it. Jesus is incredibly clear about it. And so we feel the need to shepherd and to talk about it. Um, but we know this is weighty. And so that's just kind of our heart not to be extensive or exhaustive. We're not going to teach you everything about hell, but we do just want to open up the door just a little bit and get the conversation going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of, there's kind of like some misconception, misconceptions of what hell can be. There's, um, like What scripture objectively says it is, that actually is what kind of makes this like a hard topic because it's like, man, the Bible is pretty clear. Like, I like the last one we did on evolution, you know, there was a lot of like freedom and in scope that believers can in this, these zones, you know, be within orthodoxy, be within like the range of what is like we have freedom to as believers. And this one's like, it's pretty, it's pretty clear. So today we're gonna, we're gonna. focus heavily on what the Bible actually says. Um, But kind of two misconceptions off the start that are uh, common in our culture is like, one, the red devil with the horns in hell, poking you with a trident, like kind of the Mickey Mouse, right? Like that's kind of a misconception of what hell is. Uh, The flames in the cage, like you know, this eternal torment where it's like Satan's tormenting you and kind of like a caricature thing, right? Like, and it's, yeah. it's somewhere in the core of this earth, like, you know, whatever that might be. Like, that's, these are kind of some misconceptions about what hell might be. Other one is um, like the, it's a party, you know? It's like, okay, I actually, there was a gospel encounter that my wife had this week and it went r- not great. Like, and the person actually was kind of recoiling and defensive because the the gospel had an aroma of death on it, right? And like sometimes it, it brings this aroma of life that people are drawn to the gospel. Other times it just hits hardened ears. And he's like, well, if I'm wrong, I'm going to hell. And that's where all my friends are going to be. And we're going to party and drink beer. And like, you know, that's, that's kind of the other misconception. So that's kind of like two, two, two spectrums of this that so we kind of, are going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: anybody who cheapens like hell or the idea of it to that has absolutely no idea about what it really is. I mean, we cheapen, it's like, we, there's so many even slang phrases that use the word hell
1: that is just like, not just cheapens what it actually is. So. All right. So we're going to just open our Bibles and we're going to kind of speed, go through these, these passages, um, back and forth. And what does it say? Like, we are, are going to we-
0: open our Bibles. It's also going to be on the screens. Yeah. Unless you're like a, you know, A-plus swords drill person from Iwana, you're probably not going to keep up because we're going to go through them pretty quick. So write yeah. them down if you're taking notes. Um, but will, they'll be on the screen just because it like, doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter what media says. We just want to – what does the Bible actually say hell is and what does Jesus himself say hell is because that's what is most important. So. Yeah. Um, And last, this list, it's not exhaustive, but we did try to pick like enough verses that there is context on either side of them, but it's just pretty clear. And Mm so there is, we did choose a lot of verses, but this is not nearly the amount we could have chosen. And so the Bible is very clear. It is very like voluminous on this issue. And so there's just like plenty of places to go. So the first one um, that I want to start out with is in Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. It's Revelation chapter 20, verses 13 through 15. It says this. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And so I think the first thing to understand is, one, the word fire is repeated like three times. So there's some sort of like fiery, um, most likely it's symbolism. The Bible talks about fire a lot or fire, hell fire. Um, it's probably symbolic. But the thing we do see is hell happens after a judgment day. <laughs> So the first thing, it's like hell is the result of people being judged. Well, there will be like some people go to heaven and some people go to hell. And so hell exists and it happens like the final state of hell is something that happens after the judgment day when God judges people. And so hell is a place, one of two places that you can go after you die and after the judgment day.
1: Yeah, and Hebrews says like it's appointed for each man to die once and then comes judgment. And like that's the reality of this, that we will all face that. So... Next one, Daniel 12.2. Do you have that up? Because I didn't, I didn't bookmark it. It's behind me. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. So big one there, the eternal nature of it, right? Like it's an everlasting, eternal nature. Yeah, and every time there is some theological debate, is
0: hell actually eternal? Do people just die and quit and, like, stop existing and stuff? Actually, every time, almost every time, the vast majority of times the Bible talks about hell, it is in parallel or in, like, comparison to eternal life. And never once do we assume that eternal life ends. Every time we think about eternal life, it's like, oh, that must be forever, Oh, we're living forever with Jesus, why would we ever interpret the second part of that, the eternal destruction, differently than we in- interpret the eternal life? And so nobody questions the eternal life, but for some reason to soften it. They, hmm. So there is an, an eternal nature of hell, a never-ending. It doesn't stop. People aren't destroyed. It is like forever. As long as heaven is, that is how long hell exists as well. So hell is eternal. That is one thing that's really clear in Scripture.
1: Yeah. Next one: Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. Uh, and, and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So there's the reality of God as like the active agent in that, right? That's kind of that's kind of like shoots down that whole idea of the the red horned devil with his trident right like it's that's actually not what's at stake here like yeah yeah other no thoughts on that uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. next one
0: uh, matthew thirteen forty nine through 50. it said so it will be at the end of the age the angels will go out separate the evil people from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I'm going to camp out there just for a sec. So again, we have this separation of righteous and evil, righteous onto eternal life and evil onto eternal destruction. There's the eternality. And the last two things there, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth would have been an old Greek uh, saying that would have been both pain and agony. Like if you are just in intense pain, like you just clench your jaw, you start like like grinding your teeth because something is so agonizing, so writhing that it causes you to do that. But it's also an ancient expression for just anger, for hardness. Like if they were gnashing their teeth, it meant you were like really like at a a gut level visceral hatred for something. And so I think what the author, or Jesus, is intending to be, like, say when he says weeping and gnashing teeth, there is, like, an agony in hell. There's something that's terrible and awful. There's suffering. But there is also an anger in the people there. Like, like, this suffering in hell doesn't turn people to Jesus. It doesn't, like, make them long for God. It actually just makes them hate them. And so nobody is in hell suffering who is, like, turning. is like, man, I really wish I was in heaven. It's like, no, it actually serves to harden their hearts. And we see over and over and over again that the people who are in hell don't long to be in heaven. They just get angrier and angrier at God, and they, they will gnash their teeth at him. And so that's, I think, what Jesus is trying to communicate there. Uh, next one is in Matthew 25, um, 41 through 46. It says this. Verse 41, then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then a little bit later in that same passage, he said, and they will go away into eternal punishment the righteous into eternal life. And so there's that eternal judgment and eternal punishment and eternal life parallel. Um, And then there's also a punishment. Hell is punishment. So hell is not just like this ambiguous place of suffering. It is a place where there's like actual judgment. Justice is being executed. There is like a punitive uh, reality to hell that hell is accomplishing a purpose. It's accomplishing a purpose of punishment. And so there's like a punitive nature, a punishment, a judgment, a condemnation. Nation nature to what's going on in hell.
1: Yeah, uh, next one Revelation nineteen. Actually, we're gonna do. Uh, yeah, what's that? Okay, we'll do uh, Revelation Revelation nineteen twenty. Uh, but the beast was taken prisoner, and along with it, the false prophet who were who had performed the signs in its presence, he deceived those who had accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped in its image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns the sulfur. So again, not a place where the devil is the tormentor, right? Like it's a place of God's judgment apart from his goodness. So just another one touching on that. Yeah. And the last one we'll go to is one of actually the longest
0: passages, I think, in the Bible about hell. It's in Luke 16. And uh, it might be a parable. It might not be. Um, we don't really know. There's some. But either way, it talks a lot about hell. And here's what it says. It says, there is a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate, and he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried. And being buried, being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off, with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. And besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they also won't come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets and they should listen to him. And so I think just a couple of realities to see from this thing is... uh, one, that there will be an awareness of in hell that they are in hell. Like, there can be an awareness of people that they are not in the place where God is at with a presence to bless. Like, there is a suffering and there's some sort of an awareness there is also a chasm fixed between heaven and hell. There is no passing over. There is nothing like purgatory that we see in the Bible. We see that people, like once you are in hell, there is a chasm. There's this great dividing wall fixed between that. There is no passing over. And I think it's really interesting. I think we get some insight into what people in hell are like from this man. You see, it's funny, like he's even treating this rich man who's in hell is even treating this poor man like he's still his servant, right? He's like, hey, send him to serve me, send him to give me a drip of water because like he's still treating them like who he is at his core is a selfish person who is still wanting to be served, who is still wanting other things, and in fact, I wonder if the reason Lazarus, the poor man, is given a name and this rich man isn't is because he had no identity outside of his wealth. <laughs> like, that was it. He built his kingdom with wealth, and now that is all he has in his afterlife, and it is nothing, and he is in agony. <laughs> and even this man's greatest desire noticed that his suffering wasn't like, man, I'm suffering. I sinned against God. I want to be God. Like, no, he's still self-centered. Actually, the I just want to be quenched. I just don't want to feel this bad anymore. It's nothing about Jesus, nothing about repentance, nothing about God. It's just his own like lack of comfort. And I'm telling you guys, there is a reality that hell will be awful and there will be suffering and there will be torture and there'll be terrible things. But one of the realities of hell that makes it so bad is actually God just giving people over to their desires. Um, Like this man, can you imagine how like horrible and empty and like just nothing your life would be if you were, like, selfish and you did no good. There was no, like, presence of any good. Like, your life was just ran by your sin. Can you imagine how awful that life would be, like, living that for five years? (laughs) What about 50 years? What about 500 years of you living in that selfish, awful, sinful life with no goodness of God, with no repentance of sin? Like, that is part of the judgment of hell. Is actually God just giving people over. And Tim Keller would say it like this. He says, hell, in that view... Then is a trajectory of a soul living a self absorbed, self centered life going on and on forever. Simply, it's one's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory to infinity. So, part of what makes hell so bad is that God actually lets humans have what they want. None of him and all of themselves. And as their like unreined in, like sinful self gets total dominion in hell, they like just get the natural implications of that, which is awful and it's terrible and it feels like agony. And so after like seeing all that kind of all those different things, maybe, can you just like, what are the things that are absolutely clear about hell from scripture? Like what are there no questions on? Scripture makes this abundantly clear. This is like what hell is.
1: Yeah from those passages we read, you can read more, there's lists of it. Um, things we know is eternal, it's conscious, it's punishment, and there's a suffering nature to it, right? Um, it's an unen- unending torment, and that's that's the thing that drives us to, right? Like, to not tell people is, you know, to, that should drive us evangelistically to, you know, share the hope of Christ, because there's, God's created a way that there doesn't have to be that, so.
0: Yeah, and guys, the reality of this probably doesn't sit right with a lot of you, and if there's any people that you were to begin to share this with in your lives, like, there's probably a pit in your stomach, like, no way, like, if that's what your Bible teaches, if that's what your God is about, I want nothing to do with that, and, like, the most common objection is like, all right, you say your God is loving, you preach his hope, you preach his mercy. How on earth could a loving God send people to hell? How can you reconcile the fact that you say your God is a loving God? Why on earth? Like, how could there possibly be eternal damnation for people who don't love in them? Like, how do those things reconcile? And so we just wanna spend, honestly, the rest of this answering that question. If that's genuinely what the Bible says, if hell is that real and that grotesque and that awful forever for eternity, how can we still sit up here and say we have a loving God and yet that is a reality? Elias, how would you like answer that question or like begin to shepherd somebody who's like feeling that at like a real level?
1: Yeah, I think if you guys have, you know, come most weeks uh this year and even one time last fall, uh, I think Stephen has shepherded so great on this and he has there's a couple sermons he's preached on just like the love of God and the justice of God and how those things like God is love. Yes. And that is a characteristic of him. And you know, when you kind of hear that question, like how can a loving God send people to hell? Um, that isn't the only characteristic. Like he's holy, just righteous and good. And, and like to, uh, be loving without just isn't without justice, isn't loving at all. And I think that's something that, um, it's, it's almost like man, an evidence of, of God's, uh, an evidence of like the reality of hell and God's justice is like, we long for that too. Like we're creating God's image and we desire, uh, like justice to be done. Like we, like S- Stephen shared some, some gruesome realities of what people have done in this world that it's like will maybe never have vengeance repaid like in this in this world but hebrews 10 says like vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living god and he's the one who out of love for those who you know are are the the, the ones who have turned to him in, in repentance and faith and have trusted in him and were in a right relationship with him and have been redeemed like out of love for really all his creation, like he is a God of justice and all of us deserve that. But, um, in his mercy, he's, he's saved some.
0: Yeah. I was getting dinner the other day with somebody who is a, um, very passionate atheist. And this is one of the things they said. It's like, Hey, if you're, you're God, like, like he, you say he's full of wrath and has this eternal judgment. Like I only, if I was going to believe in a God at all, which I don't, he's like, I only believe in a God that is full of love. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? Like, do you mean that all the time, no matter what, regardless, he is only filled with the emotion of love? I'm like, do you think it's possible to have a loving God without wrath? He's like, absolutely. The God I believe in is only love. And I was like, how? I was like, what would you say? I was like, I've got a wife and I've got a foster baby at home. If somebody in front of me was hurting them, was beating them, if I was God, if I was your God, the only thing you would expect me to feel is, hey, I've got nothing for love. I'm watching you beat my family, but that just butterflies and love. You would say, I hate my family. And like, honestly, if someone touches one of those girls in front of me, I will end them. And I will not feel bad. Like somebody touches them over my dead body. Why? Because I love them. You cannot have a God who loves his creatures and loves the people and the things that destroy them. It's just not possible. You guys, the love that I have for Laura and Kenzie is absolute garbage compared to the love that the Father has for us, and he cannot look down on the things we do to destroy ourselves and the things that sin does to the people he loves and only experience love. He has to deliver justice towards that. And so to have a God of love, we must have a God of justice. Those two have to go together, otherwise he's not loving at all. Uh. A couple other things I would say to that. If, if the objection is this, like, man, if your God is a loving God, like how can a loving God send people to hell? But one question I would ask them is like, well, do you have any, do you take any offense do you have any problem with the forgiveness of God? And it's like, most people are like, what? Like, no, I don't have a problem with the forgiveness. <laughs> you guys, I was in Malaysia, which is a Muslim country, and the idea of a God, Allah, was their name for God, the idea that Allah would come down and die for us and forgive us was incredibly offensive to them. Like the idea that God is full of like wrath and punishment, that's like a normal thing and a ton of other major world religions and cultures. And so the fact that actually the God of wrath and judgment is like offensive and repulsive to us is a really like Western, really modern thought. And the reality is Christianity is like ultimate truth. It transcends culture, it transcends time. And so if like Christianity kind of came down and fit Every like ethic of a current like worldview or society that would be a little fishy because actually, like, our truth is above that the bible is above all of that and so it would make sense that it would offend different parts of different cultures and so you have to understand when we hear these realities and when other people like we need to be coached that like we are viewing these realities whether we like it or not far more culturally than we would like to think like we are far more influenced by our culture by our modern thought kind of the cultural moment that we are in and the thought of like a god of justice a god of wrath is actually not one that is offensive all over the world and it's actually like some of our own bias so that's one thing Anything else you say? Otherwise, I got
1: a couple more. Yeah. Um, one thing I would say too is like when you when you ask that question, like how could God send anyone to hell? Um, I think the question is sometimes it, it's maybe even like asked incorrectly. It's like how could God like save en- like one person? Like it 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 doesn't make sense. Like or I guess it does make sense, but it doesn't. It uh, with a God who is righteous, holy, and good. 1002, like, I love it. What, like, <laughs> we'll pray at the
0: end. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, yeah, like, a God who's righteous, holy, and good, like Andrew's saying, you know, why would he come down and even save one? You know, I think that's a, another thing to keep in scope is, like, we so often suppress the weightiness of our sin, and um, we, like, have an incorrect view of God's holiness, and that, that's a, a standard that all of us are held to and really, like,
0: yeah, yeah, the punishment fits the crime. And I think that's an assumption that most people make. They, when they hear eternal, like, torment, fire forever, they hear that and, like, no way. There's nothing I could do on earth that is so bad, that is so wicked, that actually deserves that. Like, no way does the punishment fit the crime. And I'm telling you guys, if the hell that the Bible talks about, if the hell that we present tonight seems too harsh or too like real, the problem might not be that our view of hell is too harsh. It might be that our view of God is too small. Like if this view, if what the Bible teaches about hell is real, that it's eternal, that it's agonizing, and that doesn't sit right with you, that doesn't line up. You guys, the solution isn't to soften our view of hell. The solution is to draw close to God and beg him, God, show me if that's genuinely what hell is, if that's really that bad, and you tell me that that is the just punishment for sin, then show me that that is really what it's worth. Show me that you are so good, so beautiful, so amazing, that sinning against you really is deserving of that. And as you draw near to God in scripture and in prayer and get to know him, beg him to show you his beauty to show you how amazing he is and give you a view of him that actually that eternal suffering makes sense. And so when those things don't line up, the the solution isn't to soften your view of hell, the solution is to blow your idea of a God out of the water. Because the God we serve is so big, is so eternal that the punishment fits the crime, it's not actually unjust. And so beg God that he would give you a view of yourself, And the last, the last thing I would say is this, to somebody or to even you who's wrestling, like how could a loving God send people to hell? I think there's like an assumption of God's heart posture behind that. Like, I don't want to serve a God that's just like flippantly throwing people into hell or is like this like old crank who's just like flying off the handle, angry, throwing people in hell. And the assumption is that God wants to or he's okay with that. Guys, look at what it says in Ezekiel 33, 11. It says, tell them, this is God speaking to the Israelites, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. Will you die? You guys, the reality is God takes no pleasure in sending people to hell. God is not, like, up there laughing with this evil, like, grin, this evil laugh as people suffer forever. No, he takes no pleasure in it. He has no delight. In fact, God hated the reality so much that we sinned against him in such an egregious way that he did something about it. That he actually made a different way. God does not like the reality of hell, but it exists because that is just. And guys, as you maybe elevate your view of hell, like as you like come to grips with the reality that it is a grotesque, like agonizing, eternal thing, realize that the Bible holds that up and then hold up the cross next to it and realize that Jesus went there for you. Jesus wasn't sweating blood the night before he went to the cross because he was about to be crucified, all right? That would is horrible, but tons of men had done that before. Jesus was sweating blood Because everything that was true about hell, everything that is horrible and gut-wrenching about hell, the wrath of God looking him in the face, he was going to experience that for you on the cross. And so you guys have to know every evil, every sin, every injustice is punished in one of two ways, either on the cross of Christ or in hell forever. Hell is God's ultimate like plan for justice. It's either the hell or the cross. All justice, all evil is satisfied in one of those two places. And Jesus went to this place, both the cross and to the hell and to the wrath of God, so you don't have to experience either one. Do you guys get that? As your view of hell gets like broadened and more weighty and more dark, that should only elevate the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for you, knowing that Jesus went there for you. Jesus went there so we don't have to, it should make you like just joyful that Jesus went to the cross and that we don't have to suffer like that. And no one else does either. And so that's like our heart behind it is like, when people ask, how could a God, it's like, he doesn't want to. How could a God, how could a loving God send people hell? It's like, he made, he sent his son to go there so you don't have to. He doesn't want to, but only people who reject that and want to be, and want to harden their heart to that reality are there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, like for the the most part, when you come to Christ, like and you come to saving faith, it isn't out of like just a fear of going to hell that you like turn to Jesus, but it's actually just fixing your eyes on Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of faith who, you know, was the one who took all of that on himself. Like when we fix our eyes on him, that's really the beauty of it. That's what brings us to Christ. That's what, you know, brings us into that banquet is what Christ has done. Not uh, a fear of hell and wanting to get out of, of hell, but it's a motivation of the goodness of, of God that he would, he would spare us from that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. One thing before I pray to
0: close this down um, again, this was just meant to be, A door opening conversation. If you have more questions, find a staff member after. We would love, but I would, if you guys are taking notes, I just have some resources that are incredibly helpful. Um, if you just type in hell to the website, desiring God, I, that is a great website, desiringgod.com. Just anything on there is great. Um, here are some books that have been really formative, um, for me, uh, erasing hell by Francis Chan. Erasing Hell by Francis Chan. Systematic Theology by Wayne Gurdum. Let the Nations Be Glad, specifically chapter four. There's a free PDF online. Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper, chapter four. It's really specific, but it's incredibly profound. Um, And the last one I would say is Four Views on Hell, um, Counterpoints, Bible and Theology. It's like this whole series by Zondervan, Four Views on Hell, Counterpoints—it's like the counterpoints series that that publisher did. Those are just like resources that I think are really helpful. That can like, if you want to take this conversation further, if you want to learn more, um, yeah, those would be resources. So,
1: yeah. Anything great. else? No. That's awesome.
0: Yeah.
1: Let's pray and close this out. <clears throat> yeah, God, tonight as we kind of take a look at the the two. Eternal places, heaven, hell—it's um, sobering thoughts. It's humbling. Hopefully, that we can look to those things and and see that you're you're sovereign over those things. Um, and and Lord, uh, I just pray tonight as we uh, think about the the weightiness of hell. It wouldn't cause us to um, leave here fearful or, or scared as as, as Christians. Um but it would it would stir in our hearts a, a desire to um go and share the hope of your gospel to all people who either are those willfully rejecting or the ones who've never heard God that it would just be uh stir us a desire to to take that message of hope, of reconciliation that you've you've made a way for this to not be the reality of our existence and lord we just thank you for your grace shown in that um and we thank you for tonight and for uh your word that is so clear and would uh, we continually go back to that for the truth that we cling to and um yeah lord we we thank you for all that you've done and your your mercy to us and praise in Jesus name amen
0: Thanks for listening to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. For more information about Salt Company, you can visit saltcedarfalls.com.